Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. right now Lord Jesus I need you right now I need your anointing I need you to fill me with the spirit and give me the words now to speak by your mighty power that you'll take this message and make something of it Lord I've uh, put together what I've done and I've done what I can do uh, in preparation for this Lord but if if you don't speak it's uh, going to fall on deaf ears and uh, and it'll lack any type of influence or power to change or transform hearts, Lord. So I need you to speak through me by the power of the Holy Spirit in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. This, this sermon's called Ministers of Reconciliation. It's a uh, quite an important passage that we're going to read. So 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Okay, so it's a a very important and significant passage uh, right there, and we're going to go into that verse by verse because I think it's um, critical that we understand it because it really does gives gives us direct insight into who we are in Christ and what our purpose is in Christ if we take to heart what's written here. Amen. Okay, so now that we are Christians, and I'm sure a lot of Christians around the world say this: now that we're Christians, what then? What's next? What do we do now? We've accepted Jesus. We've said yes to Jesus. I believe in you. Now what? And to many, you know, that question can remain unanswered the rest of their life. They can walk on and on and on in Christ and never know what the next step is. And that's really unfortunate because the Bible's clear on it, but it's very little preached or explained, and too many Christians are ignorant of it um, and probably would rather not know it because, you know, ignorance is bliss, in a sense. The issue today is many Christians have no clue what the call on their life is from this point on. They don't understand that we are called. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And I think the reason why few are chosen is because the called don't turn and live 
the correct way as to be chosen, to be worthy to be chosen. Is there an overarching call upon every last one of us? Is there a call on every single one of you here? Is there a call on every single person who's listening right now on the internet? Is there a call on your life? Is there an overarching call, meaning is there a purpose that every single one of us has in Christ that we are ignorant of or we're not walking in? And this is an important, who thinks that's an important question that we're asking today? I think it is. I believe that each and every Christian has an individual mandate, that each and every single one of you has an individual mandate that if you found it out, you would know that God says, okay, I want you personally to do this. You know, your purpose might be to worship the Lord and lead worship services or whatever. So that's your individual mandate. But there is an overarching mandate as well or a universal mandate. We are called to a ministry and this ministry is called reconciliation. Every one of us has a ministry and it's the one that every single Christian gets given and we are called to reconcile men to God. That's the purpose. If you want to know what your life purpose is, that's it. There's other things to do with that. There's more uh, intimate details that you get given which becomes more personal to you. But the ultimate purpose of every single person's life is to reconcile men to God. Who's receiving this? Who can see that? All right, Because the Bible's clear on that, isn't it? Firstly, let's take a look at the commission upon each and every member of the church, which is commonly called the Great Commission. Who's heard that term, Great Commission? And then we're going to take a look at this mysterious ministry of reconciliation as well. The Great Commission is commonly thought of as the last instructions which Jesus gave to his disciples just before his ascension to heaven. So what happened is Jesus was with his disciples and he was about to ascend. And then he gave these important instructions to his disciples as if to say, okay, I'm about to go and this is now what you guys have got to do and you've got to tell everybody that you disciple to do this as well and this is going to, should go on for generations and generations to come right until I return. These same instructions, these commands or commissions that he gave to his people and he gave it to the disciples as clearly as he's given it to us today. Those words. And the Great Commission is the most important thing that a Christian should live by and should know and understand and live by. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Isn't that good to know? All authority has been given to Jesus. Remember, he died, he raised to life, he had took the keys of death and Hades, he held them in his hand, he had those keys. All authority now is in the hands of Jesus. He has authority over the death realm and of of those who will live eternally. He has total authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So you can know when you go to do this that you are serving the one who has all authority. So he has all authority. And what is he saying? I give you authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit baptizing them water baptisms he's telling us that's the commission go therefore make disciples baptize them if you're not baptized in water you're going to get baptized in water you've got to get baptized it's important it's part of the great commission part of the last command of jesus teaching them to observe all that i commanded you teaching them 
So what am I doing? I teach you to obey everything he commanded us. And what is the most important thing in that is his holiness. He's told us to be holy. He said, you must be holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Be holy as I am holy. And, and there's a lot of other things in, in relation to that. But he has commanded us to teach these things. That's why I'm doing it. If he didn't tell me that I have to do this, I wouldn't do it. If it wasn't in the scriptures, I would be going, okay, I'll just sit back and whatever happens. You know, focus on my own life, you know, do my own thing. But no, Jesus says here that you are to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that beautiful? The end of the age. Are we close to the end of the age? They were saying back then, Paul said, you know, this is the last hour. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Paul said this is the last hour. So what could we say? We're in the last minute or the last second. <laughs> what, the seconds? There's only a few seconds to go because if that was the last hour, you know. Now, I, I also went and searched it out because they tend to just use Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. But the Great Commission is all the last words that Jesus used just before he ascended. Here's some more, uh, probably elaborates on what we've already got there in Matthew 28. I mean, Mark 16, verses 15 to 16, and he said this to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, I don't know if that means go out and preach to the kangaroos, <laughs> to the trees, probably get some good practice out there if you need practice in preaching <laughs> could could have probably checked on the uh the greek in that mm. just to see what the... anyway he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved there's another important thing he again he stresses the baptism i, I don't know i'm not going to try to make a doctrine where unless you're baptized in water you're not saved right because i'm i know there's christians that go around and do that but he does stress he who has who has believed and I think if you do believe, you'll want to be baptised. You'll want to make that public announcement that you're in Christ. You know what I mean? So he who has been uh, believed and has been baptised shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So there's some interesting words right there. Luke 24, verses 46 to 49. Now again, these are the last words of Jesus just before he ascended in, and rec as recorded in the book of Luke. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So Christ will suffer, rise again after the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So what are we to proclaim to all nations? Repentance. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Not accept Jesus into your life. It doesn't say anywhere accept Jesus into your life. Actually, we've got to get into his life. You know what I mean? We've got to baptize. We've got to repent. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to work into him. You know? And then we get changed. Then the Holy Spirit enters into us, and we are changed by the Holy Spirit. So we've got to teach repentance. And this is a very uh, little taught doctrine today. Very few people, very few ministers Go near the word repentance. Go near the word of, of exposing people's sins, saying you need to turn from sin. They don't use word sins. Like uh, Joel Osteen will not use the word sin in church. Wow. He doesn't want to make people feel bad. That's his, that's his theology. Don't make people feel bad that they're sinners, dirty rotten sinners, you know what I mean? But Jesus came preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The disciples were told to go out and preach repentance to all the nations. Paul said in the book of Acts that he preached repentance and they should turn from sin and live life in God. Live a life worthy in God as well. Live worthily before him, meaning walk in holiness. You know, this is the gospel. You know, if we go and alter that, we're deceiving ourselves and we're deceiving our listeners. And we could be condemning many people through t- teaching a doctrine that is not scripturally true. You know, making people feel safe in their sin. Repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, which is where it began. If you look in the book of Acts, it started in Jerusalem and it spread from there through the known world and it's been spreading ever since. You are witnesses of these things. He's saying it to his disciples. You witnessed this. You've seen me alive after death. You saw me crucified. Now you see me alive. Now you're going to see me ascend. So those, those guys went away going, wow, he lives. You know, he is God. We've seen him ascend to heaven. Now I'm prepared to die for that. You know, if you've actually, if you can, you could actually die for something you're deluded into thinking is true, right? But if you actually, in reality, see something happen with your own eyes and are willing to die, that makes a lot more impact on the person who's killing you, if you know what I mean. You know, you're not going to give up Jesus. Why? Because you claim to have seen him alive after he had died. And not only that, 500 of you claim it, and all 500 of you are willing to die for that claim. There's power in that testimony. And they all did, a good portion of them anyway, died for that. So you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he's saying, don't go anywhere because I'm going to send some power. And that power is my authority to do the works that you're about to do. Without it, you're not going to be effective. Wait for it. So I think there's a call to us as well. Not to not be in a, a, a in-season, out-of-season witness, meaning ready, prepared to reach people no matter what time or place. Do you know what I mean? But we also must make sure that we're empowered with authority. So that means we've got to pray more. We've got to seek God more. We've got to get on our knees and say, God, give me the ability to reach men with the gospel because it's so hard to reach hardened men these days and women. They just shut off. They turn off. They don't want to know about it. You get 30 seconds into a conversation and they say, I'll just turn to you. Look, mate, don't want to know about it. Who's had that experience? Yeah, 30 seconds in. Sorry, don't want to know about it. And even though you say, these are important things, these are eternal matters. You know, like Bill says, the most important day of your life is when you die. Mm. That's when everything you hold dear, all your pet beliefs, is going to be tested by fire. (laughs) You know, the day you die, is atheism real? You'll know when you die. Is Buddhism real? You're going to know when you die. Is anything you believe real or true? You're going to know when you die. The truth will be revealed at that moment. And it's up until then, If you, you can find out the truth now, but you've got to do some research and you've got to soften your heart. You can't harden yourself to the truth. Amen? But if you're willing to soften, if you're willing to yield, if you're willing to follow the Spirit's promptings and let the evidence lead you where you may not want to go, you know what I mean, as Lee Strabel would say, you might... Come across the truth. And I believe if you search, you will find. You know, if you seek, you shall find. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. 
if you seek me with all your heart. Most people aren't willing to seek. You know, I talk to these people who call, call themselves seekers on the internet, you know, atheists that believe that they're truth seekers. They're not truth seekers. They're, they're just trying to expose, uh, you know, Christians and say what you're believing is false. They come at you with 20 reasons why not to believe, but not one why to believe. Or why would I, why don't I put aside my prejudices for a little while and just look into the scriptures? Let's find out for real. You know, let's read some, you know, really good books that have been written on the subject so we can get a better idea of whether this is real and true. Amen? Who gets where I'm sort of going? Acts 1.8. Also, in Acts, Jesus spoke to the disciples just before he left, and it's very similar to Luke. It was written by Luke. It's actually the follow-on book to the book of Luke. Acts is. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So where are you going to be witnesses? You're going to be witnesses to the remotest parts of the earth. And a witness is someone who witnesses for Christ and reveals the truth about Jesus to them as a witness to the truth. And if, you've had an ex- if you know Jesus personally, and I believe everyone here knows Jesus personally, that is the witness. That is your inner witness. Also, you know the truth of Jesus because you've read the Word of God. Right? The word became flesh and dwelt among us for a while. So this thing became flesh for a little while. <laughs> you know what I mean? And dwelt among us. So we have the word. That's our witness. You know, now, don't expect everyone to believe that you speak to, but the fact is there will be some that will. And we've got to find that, eh? You don't catch every fish in the sea when you throw a line in, do you? You know, many you get on the hook and then they drop off and you're like, ah, it was that close. But then you suddenly you pull in a fish. It's like, wow got one. I missed five, but I got one. You know? But if you go fishing all the time, you notice some days you go fishing, you don't catch much. Other days you go fishing, you catch heaps. You know? The, the key is, is to keep going fishing. Fishers of men. You're all fishers of men. All right, so question is, was this commission only for the select few or for every person who turns to Christ as Saviour? Was that commission just for the disciples or was it to you guys? Was that commission written down so that you could be impacted by it and be changed and transformed and live a different life? That's a question, isn't it? Because we've got to take this seriously. Because one day we're going to be held accountable for how we treated his great commission. And, you know, the older I get, the more I go, well, man, I better start really picking up pace here and do the commission more, you know, live by the commission more. Because... You know, I don't know how long I've got left on this planet and I don't want to get there and he says, Rob, you let me down. Big time, you let me down. The Great Commission sat there staring you in the face and you just ignored it. You ignored it your whole life. You know, we've got to make sure we're living by the command that Jesus left us is to make disciples and nations, teach them to obey everything he commanded. He commanded. You've got to remember, it was not called the great option either, was it? <laughs> the great life option, maybe, or the great maybe one day, was it? But rather the great commission, the great command, the great... Well, he actually didn't use the term great command or great commission in the Bible, but that's what we've gone and called it. And I remember Pastor Neil Ryan said, you know, I think we should, if we just took the great out of the way, people might think they can do it. But as soon as you say it's great, suddenly it's an impossibility to do, you know, in most people's eyes, you know. So if you just think of it as the commission, 
It is the commission he gave us to do. So it's possible. You can do it if you live to do it, if you change your priorities. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any person is engrafted in... See, he's... We don't accept him into our life. We engraft ourselves into him because he is the vine. He doesn't come and plant himself in us and we're the root. He's the root. We're the branches. It's not the other way around. So therefore, if any person is in Christ, the Messiah, engrafted in, he is a new creation. Did you know that? If you're in Christ, you're now a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are no longer the old person you once were. You're now new in Christ. Here's a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, which is the previous moral and spiritual condition. So the way you were before is gone. And that's passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. You're a new creature now. And you've got to act as if you're a new creature in Christ. Romans 6.4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death. See, that's another thing. What the baptism actually is a is for us. It's like a marriage ceremony. You know, you you might fall in love with the person, and then you go, "Yes, I want to marry you," right? But the actual ceremony is the official thing. You're married now. You know what I mean? And the water baptism, you can see like that. You you fall in love with Christ, and then you make the commitment of faith. Right now, there's always exceptions to all these sorts of things. Like if if a person's on their deathbed, they receive Christ. There's no water to get baptized, and they're too, you know, close to death to do it anyway. That person's not excluded from heaven because of that, because he's made a confession of faith, and he will be received. But if you live a life in Christ, it is good to know that you're baptized in Him. Ephesians four twenty two to twenty four says, "You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self." Who knows here that the old self rears its ugly head every now and then? Does the old self come back? It does. You can believe in Jesus and then you live like a pagan and then you believe in Jesus again and then you can live like a pagan again and it keeps coming back. But I believe determination wins over. If you're determined to live in Christ, you will be that new creature and you can live in that state all the time. However, it doesn't mean you won't sin. It means you will firstly sin less. Secondly, you won't live a life of sin. You won't continue to do the things that you know is sin as a regular habit. You will cut them off. You'll be a new creature. You cut off those old things. So we've been told that we are to put off our old self, which has been corrupted by deceitful desires. You know, our desires are deceitful. Those desires inside you, they're deceitful. You can't trust them. If someone, if you knew a person and someone knew that person better than you did and they, and they come up and just whisper and you just said, be very careful of that person, they're deceitful. Would you be careful or would you just embrace that person and let them completely into your life without thinking? You'd be wary. So you've got to be wary of your own desires because they are deceitful. And that was our old life, to put off our old self, which has been corrupted. We get corrupted by these desires. And we are told to be made new in the attitude of your minds. We've got to think different. We've got to think and approach life very differently and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our new self is created to be like God. Not to be God. That's an impossibility. How can a creation become the creator? It's just impossible, right? It just doesn't happen. 
but you're created to be like him, meaning walk more like him in his image. So in a sense, we know how Christ lived. When people meet you, you want to be Christ to them in a sense, you know, proving that you're his representative here. So people walk away going, wow, what a wonderful experience that was with that person. He was just so Christ-like. Wouldn't that be a compliment if you heard someone said that about you? That man was such a Christ-like character. You know, that's, that's what you want people to think of you and that's how you should approach every situation. You've got to be Christ to the people because the closest that many people ever get to Christ is meeting you. That might be the closest they ever, ever get and they might never have another opportunity. So always see every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity because it says for the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 5.18. But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself. All things are from God through Jesus Christ, who reconciled us to himself. And then it says in brackets, received us into favour. So he received us into favour. Did you know, guys, you're in favour with Jesus? You're in his favour. You're not under condemnation. You're under his, in his favour because you are in him. It brought us into harmony with himself. We're in harmony with Christ, aren't we? Amen. And gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. And that's really what reconciling is, mm. us bringing people into harmony with Jesus Christ. Yeah. When you go to work, what, do you aim, what should your aim be? You, you don't do this aim in <laughs> neglect of your work. Do your work. Always do your work. Never neglect that because an employer does not pray, uh, pay you to preach. An emp- employer can't say, pays you to work, doesn't he? So we've got to keep that in mind. But in our opportune times, what should our overarching emphasis of life be, our purpose of life be? Should be to bring people, yeah, to bring them into harmony with Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so that's why all of us should have the mindset that, okay, I'm going to school today or I'm going to work or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. But the emphasis should always be in the top of your mind should be that we are there to reach people with the gospel, to bring people to salvation. Because if you think about it, it's the most important thing to that person, even though they don't realize it at the time, the most important thing that ever is going to happen to that person is that they receive salvation. And they're never going to know how important it is until they die. And this, they die and at that moment the truth is revealed and then they realise, oh, I accepted Jesus into my life and where am I going? I'm going up. And then Jesus is there with his arms open. Welcome into my kingdom. And that person will say, gee, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill, <laughs> that you opened my eyes to the Lord because I didn't realise that this, what you did, what you did for that person is more important than a billion dollars, if, you, if Bill had led that person to make a billion dollars, that wouldn't have equated even compared to salvation. Because you can't take a billion dollars into the grave, can you? It doesn't go into the grave. Money won't turn into spirit. <laughs> Money stays here. Gold and silver. Gold and silver stays here too. It'll go into the ground, but it doesn't turn into spirit, Nick. Yeah, you can't eat it. You can't do anything with it. It's no good to you. Let's walk on it.
You walk on it. You do. You walk on gold and silver. Don't work for things that is just pavement in heaven. <laughs> it is. You know, we put so much emphasis on pavement. What are we doing? Look, our treasure is in heaven. Everything, no matter how much you get in this life, it does not compare to heaven. It does not compare to the eternal riches that are waiting for you. And why are we slaving for it and neglecting the Great Commission? You know, we've got to work. Like, I work. Everyone here works. We have to work. If we don't work, we're going to starve here. We won't pay the bills here. We'll be kicked out of our house. We'll be on the street. So we've got to work. That's just part and parcel. The Apostle Paul used to work. He used to make tents. He worked. He worked for a living. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. That was his teaching. (laughs) So that's obvious. But that doesn't mean we don't worry about the Great Commission because that takes priority in our life. That should not take priority. And I'm going to have a, we're going to talk about Christian priorities in just a second. There should be no such thing as a pew warmer in true Christianity. No such thing. If, you just, if you're in a mega church and you're just a pew, pew warmer, you, you've been deceived. No such thing as pew warmers. We all have a ministry. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. So often today, especially in mega churches, we become a number without a ministry. Or even a purpose. We don't have a purpose. But according to scripture, we are meant to be active in ministry. The reconciled believer becomes the reconciler to God. Once you are reconciled, we are then called reconcilers. We get reconciled, we get brought into God, and then we go and reconcile others and bring them in as well. And that's how the kingdom has grown for 2,000 years. But there's been a sweeping deception in the last 100 years. And it's gripping the church big time. And it's terrible. Um, the, the amount of uh, deceitful doctrine that is out there, I, I just hear it all the time. I get people constantly sending me emails telling me about the sort of, sort of teaching that they, have, they confront in their home towns where they're getting taught the, these false doctrines. And I'm amazed. How can there be that many ministers out there that are deceived? Mm-hmm. If you guys don't walk in the ministry of reconciliation, then I have not done my job. I haven't discipled you properly. Because I don't disciple you just so that you remain my disciple. If a mega church brings you in so that you're just a part of their church, they've deceived you. If anyone brings you in in that, I, I, I really, I'm, I'm just, all I am is a pointer. <laughs> Coming in, there's Jesus. That's, I'll help you, I'll disciple you, I'll keep you on the path, but I'm pointing you that way. You go and do that, and you go and get others and bring them too. And keep pointing to Jesus. Just point people to Jesus. That way. That way is the truth. Amen. You know, don't say this way is the truth. Come to this. <laughs> you know, there's no truth in here. I'm corrupted sin. I'm born in sin. You know, I'm a new creature now, but sin still lives in me at, the, at this present time. It's going to be removed. So I can't wait for that. But there's no truth here in the person of Rob. The only truth you're hearing is from the Holy Spirit that comes from God who lives in me and I'm honoured to have within me. And we should be honoured to have him in us and we should not neglect him, we should not ignore him, we should not take him for granted. Don't take this, this salvation lightly. It's the most important thing in your life. And so many of us can just really just... Who cares? You know? I'll just keep living my own life, doing my own thing, living for Rob. You know, I've got a, a dear, dear friend of mine. We've been praying for a Scott Young. 
Yeah, and uh, his brother Kent was a really close friend of mine back when I was about 14. He, I, he was a close friend for about a year and a half, two years, and then he moved to Sydney, and I didn't see him as much after that. And I've contacted him. He's a born-again Christian, living for God. Right. And I loved his wording. He said, I've been building the kingdom of Kent for so long. <laughs> the kingdom of Kent. Who hasn't been building their own kingdom? The kingdom of Rob, the kingdom of Bill, the kingdom of Luch, the kingdom of Nick. You know what I mean? We've all been building our own kingdoms. But what about God's kingdom? And it's not until you realise that, you know, that you realise, man, we need to really change. We've got to build the kingdom of God. God must be first. I must become less. John the Baptist had it right way back then. He said, he must become more. I must become less. I can only do what I receive from the Father. So only we can only do what Jesus gives us to do. And he's given us all authority under heaven to make disciples if only we would do it. You know, he's given us a fishing rod if only we would cast it in the water. He said, here's the fishing rod. Here's some bait. Cast that thing out there and you're going to start catching fish. But you know what the Christians do? Oh, well, only my pastor can cast that thing. I don't know how to cast it. So I'll put it in the corner and I'll leave it. And then, oh, then my, oh I'll try it out. Stand for five minutes. I uh, can't catch anything. I'll go and buy some fish. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? We, we tend to do that. We leave the fishing rod in the corner. We don't do anything with it. You know what we should be doing? We should be using it all the time. We should be saying, God, give me a net. Give me a couple of big trawlers so I can just catch the fish in the multitudes. You know what I mean? And you know what? If you become faithful with the rod, he will give you a net. And if you become faithful with the net, he'll give you a trawler. Before you know it, you'll be seeing multitudes coming into the kingdom of God. And you know what? That will all be accredited to you in the kingdom. When you get to heaven, he will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with much. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We want to get there and know. You know, they say this is just heaven accounts and stuff. I don't like preaching on heaven accounts because, you know, I'm I'm not sure whether the, the people are... Absolutely true. But they say that the, um, that the names of those that you win to Jesus can be on your, on your house or on the foundations of the home that you get given in heaven. You know? So that, that could be true. But the thing is we know that they're, they're rich. They're, uh, they're considered riches. So every soul, just say you bring a hundred souls to God in your lifetime and you get up there and that's all accredited to you and your house is shining with their souls, the salvation of their souls glowing from that place. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, you would be so glad you did it. You'd be so glad that you went out on a limb. You'd be so glad you listened to this message and responded and started walking in the fullness of the gospel according to the way Jesus commanded us, you know. Who's getting this? Yeah? I think it's important. I think it's probably the most important thing that we can live and act on. So Christian priorities, this is an interesting one. The problem with many of us today is our priorities are all messed up. We've got them stuffed up. We don't really have a real firm grasp on priorities. And I'm going to talk about something that uh, I remember Vina and I were first exposed to it through a Pastor Jeff Morton many, many years ago. Uh, helped us to really understand where God should be situated in our life and, and so on and the ministry and work and everything else that we have in our life. Uh, I sort of just built on it a little bit. 
But it was basically sort of like this. Our number one priority is God. Who's, who, who believes that? Number one is God? Okay, how many people put God number one in their life? Is God the first thing you do in the morning when you get up? Do you go to God? Do you pray to God? Do you read his word? Is God your first priority? Most Christians would probably say no these days. Is he the last thing you do at the end of the day? Do you go to him, get on your knees, pray to him before you go to bed? Do you read his word? Do you look to God all through the day? Is he your reason for living that day? Or is he put on the back burner and you forget all about him? But we know when we look at priorities, we all will agree, God is number one. But living it out, you know, that's where the trouble starts. So we've got to remember this. God is number one, amen? Put him number one. Place him first in your life. Look to him first. Do everything centred on God. Be God-centred, God-centric, you know? Uh, number two, it should be your wife, your husband, children, family, Right? Number two, that should be your second priority. God's entrusted us to a family, uh, and many of us have kids, and you know what I mean? So we, these should become our second priority. Because if we, it even says, you know, that if you can't look after your family, you're not going to be able to look after the house of God. You know, that's in, uh, I think, in Timothy and Titus. And, you know, we've got to put family, family first. In that sense. So it's God, then it's our wife, husbands, children, family. Number three is ministry. That's where it falls. Eternal work is always above earthly work in eternal importance. So the most you put the most important things ahead of the less important things in priority lists, don't you? So your third most important thing is ministry. You know why I think Paul says, you know, I'm glad that I he doesn't have any attachments in his life? Because those who have families have many concerns because their concerns are for their families. You know how it says that in the Bible. Um, I believe that's Paul uh, could live like that and could say that because then number three becomes number two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's got no concerns for wife, husband, family. That doesn't mean you go and get divorced, all right? I'm not pushing that. <laughs> I just last thing I want is an email. Thanks, Rob, for that. See you in court. It'll take about a year, but I'll be free. <laughs> All right. Number four is work. Number four is our work and our schooling and anything like that. So, and it should always be in that order. If work is in front of our ministry of reconciliation, then we've got it out of place. Yeah. Because when you get to heaven, is God going to say, well done, you received a degree in, in whatever? Is God going to say, well done for that? Or is he going to, or would you get a pat on the back for, well done, you brought Jeff to, to know Jesus? Which one is he going to see more important and more valuable? The degree or the soul? You know, a piece of paper is not that valuable to Jesus. But a soul is so valuable to Jesus that when he came, he didn't bother getting degrees. Jesus came and laid his life down and died for the soul. That's how important souls are to Jesus. That's how important souls should be to us. You should lay your life down for the souls of men and women. Lay your life down for it. Give your life over to it. Say, Jesus, this is it. I'm giving my all to you. I lay my life down to see souls saved from this day forward until I 
end up in the kingdom of God. And I want to see as many souls brought in as I can. Because that is the most important thing to you. And that should be the most important thing to me. Now, it doesn't mean I don't work. It doesn't mean I don't do any of these other things or look after my family. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that you become the most important thing again, which is where you should be, which is where you were when I first found you, before my love grew cold towards you. He's got to be first. Number five after work and schooling is our friends. Right? Too many of us put friends number one. Especially the younger generation, <laughs> friends are right up there, you know. But friends are important, like your friends, that's, that's, that's the ground, that's the, the field that we're going to be fishing in, you know what I mean? Our friends, hopefully get our family into the kingdom, you know. So this is, this is uh, the, I believe, the, the way priority should be. Number six should be our hobbies, our sports, our exercise. Again, too many people put sport first and their hobbies. And number seven is entertainment of all kinds and social media. Should be right down the bottom of the list. Entertainment, social media, whatever else. Computer games, which is classed as entertainment. You know, so all of those things. Again, how many people put number seven at number one? How many people put number six at number one? You know, you get these priorities right and you live a completely different life. You become useful. You become useful to many. Do you know, I, I see it all the time. I see kids who fail, fail their schooling because they put number seven first. They put entertainment first, schooling last. You know what I mean? And so it, if you get the priorities in any disarray of order, you're stuffing up a part of your life. But if you get it in this order, you're going to live a a real good life in Christ and you're going to be a, a useful and person that's going to contribute to society in a magnificent way. I think it's a good list. 2 Corinthians 5.19 said, It was God who personally... Actually, I'll read that again. It was God in Christ or God personally present in Christ. I like that. God personally present in Christ. Reconciling and restoring the world to favour with himself. It was God who reconciled and restored the world to favour with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses. He doesn't want to hold anyone accountable for their sin. He's willing to forgive. So many times people come on the internet, how can you believe in a God that has a hell and how can he be so judgmental and why can't he just forgive sin? Well, he can. <laughs> he can forgive sin. He can. But it depends on you if you want to be forgiven then you've got to find out how to be forgiven. Do you know what I mean? Like anything in life, if you want to do that thing, you've got to work out how to do it. You can't just assume you can just, it just is a, a give me, you know what I mean? If you want to play a sport, you've got to learn how to play the sport. You can't just walk on the field and start kicking a soccer ball without knowing any of the rules or anything. No one's going to let you out there. You know what I mean? There's protocol, man. Everything in life has protocol. Why do they expect God not to have any protocol? Why do I expect God not to have a procedure to get into his presence? See, if he is God and he is who he is, you know, you can't expect to just walk into the Queen's office, can you? How many of you think you could get before the Queen just because you want it? None of you. You won't even get to the gate 
You won't even scale the gate before you're dragged off and put in prison. Now, I mean, if you want to get to the Queen, there is a step-by-step process. Now, we want to come before God of heaven, who's much greater than the Queen. The Queen is nothing in comparison. She's going to have to be held accountable too. She's going to be judged. Right? But if you want to get before God, you've got to come before God. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to repent of your sin. You've got to make sure you're in that place where God can say, yes, I receive you. You've received my son. You love him with all your heart. I will receive you into the kingdom of God. Now, why would anyone expect there to be any other way of getting into the presence of God and being forgiven of sin? I don't understand why these atheists are so hard about this. It's a very simple matter. You explain it, and that's not good enough for them. Oh, no, well, why do we have to accept Jesus? Because <laughs> you do. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Because Jesus died for your sins, and if you don't accept him, you won't be forgiven. Is it obvious to you guys what I'm saying? Yes. I'm saying it really for the help of many online who are probably going to you know, try to attack me on this. But it's important. It's important that we understand this. So reconciling and restoring the world to favour with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, he doesn't want to hand up, but cancelling them and committing. I readed that word. And committing to us the message of reconciliation. And committed is a feeling of dedication and loyalty to a cause. Wholeheartedly dedicated. Are you committed? Are you dedicated to the cause of Christ? Are you dedicated to seeing souls reconciled to God, souls brought back into favour with God. Are you committed? Are you dedicated? Because he's committed it to us. It's committed to us. We have to take this seriously. And then, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this sermon because I don't want anyone, any one of you guys going up to heaven and saying, oh, Rob never preached that. I don't even know about that. <laughs> God will say, well, come on, you know that's not true. Rob's preached it. Now you know. Amen. All right, so what God did in us, Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, remember that before you believed in Jesus, you know, Bill, before you believed in Jesus, you were his enemy. Who would be crazy enough to be God's enemy? Satan. The Illuminati, which is Satan. (laughs) They're Satan's soldiers. Do you know who would be crazy enough to be the enemy of God? Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson. He's an enemy of God, a, self, a professed enemy of God. Kesha, self-professed enemy of God, Satan worshipper. You know, there's many of them, many of them. Actually, more than not. <laughs> Most people are enemies of God because if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are considered an enemy of God. So why are we all God's enemies? This is amazing. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. While we were enemies, Jesus died for us. He died for his enemies. Would you die for your enemy? No way, man. You imagine the the person that hates you the most, you went and died for them, said, there's a big truck coming, get out of the way, I'll take it. You know, would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really felt that. My whole back's out now. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more shall we be saved through his life after we've been reconciled? So Colossians 1.19-20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. 
God was pleased to have everything, the fullness of God, was dwelt in Jesus. There again, there's just proof that Jesus is deity, isn't it? That just tells us that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the man, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself, to God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He made peace. God is satisfied by the sacrifice Jesus made for your sins. If you just say, Lord, I accept what Jesus did for me, it's that easy. But it must be done through a spirit of repentance. You must repent of your sins and then be determined to walk with them behind you and don't let them back in your life to all of your, all the strength of, of your being. And you've got to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to walk in that all the time. Because we fail. Who knows we fail? Mm. We know we fail. You know, Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, they're, they're the things I end up doing. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean then, oh, we can do whatever we want. That's not what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is he's identifying with the human nature that we still do sin. He didn't say that. Many Christians today use that to say, yeah, well, it's, we're fine to sin. I'm under grace. It's not what he's saying at all. He's just saying the things he wants to do, he has trouble doing them. But he says, thanks be to Christ Jesus who saved me by his blood. And now he gives me the ability by the power of the Spirit to do these things. And so he says, I walk in the Spirit. I live in the Spirit. You know, I die daily. Brothers, I mean that, he says, I die daily. So that he can walk in the Spirit every day. 2 Corinthians 5.20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal, as it were, through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives on this earth, beg you, for his sake, to lay hold of the divine favour. He begs us to lay hold of that divine favour that has been offered to us and be reconciled to God. So that word there is presvevo, and it means that we act as an ambassador. We act as his ambassador. It means to act as an established statesman or a diplomat. And a diplomat is someone who is an official representing a country abroad. If you go as a diplomat, you're representing a country from another place. A trusted and respected ambassador who is authorised to speak as God's emissaries. An emissary is a person sent on a special mission, usually as a diplomatic representative. Uh, as someone respected, as trustworthy, loyal, knowledgeable, especially in the opinion of those they know and that they belong to. So you've got to know the word of God because you are his ambassadors. You are got to, when you speak, uh, you are representing him and you've, you've got to be thorough and diplomatic in the way that you handle souls. I'm learning this all the time. All the time. I'm asking God, help me to be better at this. Help me to get it right because I'm sick of stuffing it up. I'm sick of messing up opportunities because I don't know how to be diplomatic. I don't know how to say it right. I haven't got the words on the tip of my tongue. So the more we can develop in this area, the more effective we'll be and the more we'll be able to fulfill the great commission that he's given us. Amen. Paul made quite clear when he used the word presvethor that each and every Christian is to act as an ambassador, a respected diplomat of his kingdom. Now, I could go on and on about this, but I'm not going to. We're going to move along. This is the message uh, of reconciliation, and he brilliantly summarised it. Paul did. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm just going to read the underlined parts first. For our sake, 
He made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the message of reconciliation in one sentence. That God, for our sake, for our sake, he made Christ to be sin. Isn't that interesting? When Christ hung on that cross for our sins, he didn't just hang there for our sins, he became sin. So he became sin. How would that be that God could become sin? Not in the sense that he would then have sin. He didn't sin. He just took the weight of humanity's sin upon himself. No human could bear that. That alone speaks of his deity. Because no human could become the sin of the of every single person ever who had ever existed. As I said before, Jesus has the power. He, he can hold the universe in place. If he wanted to, he could click his fingers and the universe would just disseminate, right? But he doesn't. He holds it in place. He keeps it spinning as it is. That's the entire universe. Not just our little solar system. That's the whole universe. More planets and grains of sand on the seashore. He keeps it spinning, keeps it in play, keeps everything happening. That is the only kind of um, existence that could carry the weight of every single man's sin and be able to raise to life again after it, after he had died for it. Right? That's the power of our God, isn't it? He became sin who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become Endued with, viewed as being in examples of the righteousness of God. So we, he, we would become the righteousness of God. Now your sin has been removed. As far as the east is from the west, your sin has been removed. You can become the righteousness of God. And you only become that through Jesus Christ. You have no righteousness of your own. If you stand up or if you hear anyone stand up and say, yeah, I'm a really good person, I do good things, I'm a great person, God would be pleased with me. Yeah, really? You're corrupted in sin. Stained and unblemished. You committed that many sins. It's like a serial killer saying, I haven't killed anyone in five years and I've done a whole heap of good deeds ever since. You know, does that wipe away the sin? Is he still a serial killer? Yes, that doesn't change anything, man. So we can't come before God in our own righteousness because the sins we've committed... It requires an accounting. And unless we ask Jesus to wash them away, we are unforgiven. And you can't forgive them. And why would you expect God to forgive them when, you know, in a court of law, the judge isn't going to forgive you? <laughs> oh, I forgive you. You're a good person now. No, in a court of law, you're condemned. You know? Okay, so what we ought to be approved and accepted when, and in right relationship with him by his goodness. So I won't go any further with that. I'll go back to this. Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And I love this scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.30. But, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom of God. He became to us. So now we have the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ and he's in us. We have no wisdom of our own. Human wisdom is deception. Right? The wisdom of this world. God confounds the wisdom of this world, doesn't he? It's the wisdom of God that stands firm, stands true, stands for eternity. The wisdom of this world will perish with this world. 
So don't waste your time trying to learn the wisdom of this world. Learn the wisdom of God because it's going to last forever. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He becomes our righteousness. So we have right standing before God because of him, not because of ourselves. He becomes our sanctification. We are sanctified, clean, justified before a holy God. And therefore we are redeemed. And we can stand clean before God. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, laboring together as God's fellow workers with them, we beg of you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And this is very, very important, this scripture. And he's talking about what the grace of God is, is that merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence on souls, that merciful kindness, and turns them to Christ, keeping and strengthening them. Do not receive it to no purpose. Do not receive this grace in vain. Put up your hand if you believe you've received the grace of God in vain over the years. Man, you know, admit it. It's true. Yeah, it's true. We have. So we fall short of because of this. And it should be a wake-up call for us. Don't receive it in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't believe that, you know, now that you're saved, you, you've got no responsibility. Because it's not true. It's not in the Bible. Bible says everything to the contrary. You're not here just to fill the seats of this church. Who's getting this? Yeah? 1 Corinthians 3 9 says, For we are co workers in God's service. You and you guys and myself are co workers. We do this together. That's why we gotta we gotta get behind each other. You know? I love it when I hear of, you know, you guys and uh, the times when you reach people and talk to people about Jesus and you come and tell me stories of things that have happened, you know, Bible study, some of those nights and you hear what the what everyone's been doing. They're active in ministry, you know, even though it might be not, they're not walking in the fullness of it yet, they're still active here and there, take, making the most of opportunities. That's what I'm talking about. I don't mean you go out there 24 hours a day and just start, you know, standing on a street corner. You know, I'm not telling you to do that. It wouldn't hurt if you had the, if you had the courage to step up and do it. But I'm telling you, Look for opportunities. Keep God as first priority in your life. Keep the ministry as a priority in your life. So as God's co-workers, he chose us to use you to make his appeal to men for their salvation. That is the greatest gift God has ever given the men. Do not take that for granted and ignore it. So the conclusion of the matter is that we need to change the way we consider ourselves in Christ. Who agrees today? Do you agree you need to change the way that you consider yourself in Christ. There's a lot of changing necessary. We all, I, sh- I don't think any one of you should be thinking contrary to that. We need to change. There's more for us to do. Christ reconciled you to himself, and now that you are reconciled, we've been given the, same, the very same message to give to men and women in this lost world. The great commission is to make disciples of nations. The question is, are we doing that? Are we bringing the message of reconciliation to our part of the world, the part we influence? Is that message coming out from us? Does God have first place? And have you placed priority upon the ministries he's given you? So one day, and I've said this earlier in the sermon, one day when we stand before God on Judgment Day, the question will be asked, what did you do with the ministry I gave you? I guarantee you guys, you're going to hear that question. That question's going to be asked. Jesus is going to ask that of you. See, you won't lose your salvation, right? Remember, there's two judgments. There's the judgment where the wicked are judged, and then there's the judgment where the righteous are judged. 
And the judgment of the righteous will be to sort out who lived more for Christ, who lived less for Christ, who took it more seriously, who didn't take it as seriously, who did the right thing in Christ, who did the wrong thing in Christ. They won't lose their salvation. They're in heaven. But it's going to be, we're going to have to give an accounting. And that's why I'm preaching this sermon. And if it's gone a little bit long, don't let that worry you. If I've preached a little bit longer and you feel a bit tired and weary because of all the words I've been speaking, this could be the most important message you ever hear in your life. It could change the course of your life. Do you know what? If you're truly in Christ, if you're truly in Christ walking in him, you know what? You'll, you'll be saying, Rob, don't stop. You know, I, I've heard of um, Chinese Christians who are, you know, in, in revivals over there and, and the ministers of God are coming to them and they're preaching for eight to ten hours straight. And the, the people are there just saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. They want more because they're hungry for God. You know, we look at the watch after 35 minutes. Gee, Rob's going on. Joe Schimmel, <laughs> one hour and 15 minutes over there. But that shouldn't, shouldn't trouble us, should it? If we're really passionate for the things of God, we want to hear the word of God. If this is the one day in the week where it's poured out on you, receive it. The ministers have gone there and preached about, you know, the, like the New Age church movement and haven't preached anything about hardship. Oh, right, right. I see what you mean with the pre-trib and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they went over there and told them they're going to be raptured from trouble. And um, it, then, then a great persecution uh, broke out and many Christians fell away from the faith. They stopped believing in Jesus as a result. And the ministers there were realised they'd failed because they didn't teach the full counsel of God. They taught a, a Western watered-down gospel and, then, and it wasn't a gospel that was going to give them the strength to stand in times of trials and tribulations. And that's why these sort of messages, we've got to hear these things. We've got to hear the truth. We've got to not ignore the truth of Scripture because it might make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So what did you do with the ministry I gave you? Jesus is going to ask you that. What did you do with the ministry I gave you? Okay, Matthew, Jesus asks you that. What are you going to say? I think the fact that you've got to think about it makes you go, yeah. Yeah. Think about it. Just try to get yourself in that place where you're standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And not only that, when you're getting judged, every single Christian who has ever lived is going to be listening to your judgment. Nothing's going to be hidden. It's not going to be done in secret. It's going to be out in the open. Every Christian is going to be listening. And now who believes this is going to happen here? Am I speaking a fairy tale? Is this something that, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Rob, come on. You're just going a bit too far. Believe me, when the Bible speaks of judgment, it is coming. We are going to be judged. We've got to live with our eyes fixed on the judgment. We've got to let that reality shake us to the core change who we are because we keep our eternal perspective in sight keep that eternal perspective in sight because it changes you every day don't wake up in the morning and just think oh this is just any old day and just get on with it and grab your coffee and sit down and read the paper and you know oh, I may as well go and do this now and that you know what I mean you just sort of waft through the day you know, wake up and say okay God this is the day for you 
I'm going to live for you today. I'm going to keep my eyes set on the judgment. I know this reality. I know this is a reality. I've got it. I've got to live by it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this message today, and thank you uh, that you gave me the words. And I know it's from the Spirit, Lord, because it's it's shaken me, and I know it's uh, shaken everyone here. And I pray that it will really take root in in, in us and uh, change us. And I pray that everyone who receives it from around the world also will be shaken and uh, transformed as they um, listen to this message, and that their hearts will be. Uh, uh, just warm to this truth and that they'll start to walk in the fullness of this. I pray that we'll see a transformed Christianity. I pray we'll see transformed Christians, Christians living the way they ought to live and ha- as you commanded them to live and that uh, they will not waste their lives anymore on useless pursuits of the flesh and uh, and pursuits for money and, and so on, Lord, but they'll just start to live the life that you've set us apart to live. And I pray this in your wonderful name, and I just pray your blessing over everything we do this week, that you guide us and bless us and direct our paths in your holy name. Be with us now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.